Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papa Toi Toi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Those of you who weren't here last week, uh, we're actually entering into week two of a new series that Ulu started last week for us. And that series is called Kings of Old. Uh, And so this series is actually all about uh, the kings of Israel and Judah. And each week we'll be focusing on a different king. And hopefully we can not only learn a bit of history uh, about some kings that maybe we haven't heard of or may not know so much about. But also, you know, we hope to really glean from the lives of these powerful rulers uh, and the choices that they made, their successes and their failures uh, and, but our main goal in studying these lives of these kings is that we would be pointed back to the ultimate king, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so even though these kings uh, lived thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, believe it or not, we actually, I believe, have more in common with them than we realize. You know, there's so much that we can learn from them, uh, especially from their struggles. And so last week, when Ulu kicked the series off, Uh, We learned about how Israel was called to be God's chosen people, his treasured possession. You know, he was their king. He provided for them. He protected them. He led them. He guided them in everything that they did. Um, They were different from all of the other nations. You know, all of the other nations had human kings. They served and worshipped multiple gods. You know, um, some of them had like a god of the sun, sun god, a moon god, you know, a hat god, a shoe god, I suppose. They had a god for every occasion. Um, But the Israelites were different because they had only one god. And everybody knew about it. Everyone knew. They had no human king. Well, they were only supposed to worship one god. It wasn't always the case. Um, Because... Uh, As you'll see throughout our time studying these different kings, there's kind of a recurring theme that happened in the lives of the Israelites. Uh, And that theme is compromise. Uh, Now, the definition of compromise is, compromise is the convenient acceptance of standards that are lower than desirable. In other words, when you compromise, you're kind of lowering your standards. Um, As Christians, when we compromise, we're lowering our standards that have been given to us by God. And so most of us know the story of how God delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Um, He, after a wild adventure, which took ages, he eventually led them into a land that he had promised them, the promised land, uh, a land of bounty flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. And so one thing about the Canaanites, the people who lived in Canaan when the Israelites came and conquered it and took over, the thing about the Canaanites was that they loved to worship idols. They, had, they would create huge temples, they would create um, huge idols, statues, and they would worship these gods. Um, and some of these gods were actually uh, quite terrible, horrible Um, Some scholars believe that, and I I believe as well, that they were actually quite demonic gods. Um, They had horrible worship practices. Uh, They would sacrifice their children to these idols. 
They had temple prostitutes who they would um, perform rituals with uh, in worship of these false gods. And so, of course, God hated this idol worship. He hated it. And so when the Israelites came into Canaan and conquered the land, God commanded them to destroy every single high place, every single place of worship, every altar, every statue, every image. God told them to, turn, uh, to tear them down and destroy every trace of them. But as time went by, you know, the Israelites, they came in, they destroyed some of those high places, some of the worship um, altars that were created for these idols. But as time went by, the Israelites looked around, and as we heard last week, they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to have a human king. They weren't satisfied with having the living God as their ruler. And so, as we heard last week, God loved them so much that he gave them what they wanted. It wasn't what he wanted, but, you know, as we know, God doesn't force his will on us. He gives us the gift of choice. He allows us to choose to worship him or not. And so he gave them a king, and King Saul became the first king of Israel. And of course, after King Saul, uh, there came King David, who was the shepherd boy who had de defeated Goliath. And when King David died, his son Solomon became king. Now, Ulu mentioned last week that although God had blessed Solomon with untold riches and wisdom, Solomon compromised his standards. And he actually took hundreds of foreign wives, wives from these other countries who worshipped other gods. And guess what happened? No surprises there. These wives turned his heart away from God and towards these um, false gods that they worshipped. And so even though Solomon, he's, he's famous for having built the, the temple of God. And so finally, you know, after all of those years wandering in the, in the wilderness, Solomon built the temple of God. And finally, the people of God had a place to actually worship God. Although he had done that great thing, after his wives had been turning his heart away from God and towards these idols, Solomon ended up building places of worship towards these other idols. Those horrible idols that I told you about, some of their um, worship practices that they would do. And he found himself worshipping these idols. Not that much of a great legacy to leave behind, eh? For someone who had started off so strongly, doing amazing things in the beginning. But as we learned last week, of course, and we'll continue to see throughout this series, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so today, we're going to be looking at the life of a king named Asa. Everyone say Asa. Asa. Now, King Asa was the great-grandson of Solomon. The third king, as we heard last week, the, the kingdom separated. Israel split in two. And so there was Israel now and Judah. So King Asa was the third king of Judah after the separation. And so Judah was in the south and Israel in the north. So the story of Asa is found in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 14, 15, and 16. And so, you know, the Bible actually dedicates three whole chapters to this king, King Asa. So there, you know, as you can imagine, there are so many kings that are mentioned throughout these books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. 
But this guy, King Asa, he gets three whole chapters dedicated to his life. And so that in itself shows us that I'm, I'm pretty sure God has something special for us to learn from his life. In fact, I like how Paul puts it when he, he's talking about the lives of these people who, um, who lived in the Old Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12, he says, these the lives of these people, these are all warning markers, danger, in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They are at the beginning, and we are at the end. And we are just, just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. That's the message version, if you um, couldn't tell. But let's look at the start of Asa's reign. Uh, Second, Second Chronicles, chapter 14. I'll read it to you. And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And in his days, the country was at peace for 10 years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the foreign altars in the high places. He smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace, and no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. When I read that, I get, you know, feel so excited, you know, after all of those, you know, quite a few generations that had gone past of people kind of compromising, um, God delivering the Israelites out of, e out of Egypt, and they were they were, you know, on a high, worshipping him, but then compromised, snuck in, and then all of a sudden they're worshipping idols again. But now, after a few generations of that, it's like there's awesome news. There's a new king in town. Um, it's as if Asa had observed and read about the stories of his ancestors, and he had decided in his heart not to be the same. He had kind of learned from their mistakes so he came in, you know, as soon as he came in, he started cleaning up. He cleared out the idols, the worship places that they had built up, and he commanded Judah to follow God. He brought the kingdom back to worshiping the Lord, and there was peace for 35 years, and the land had rest. But you know what? He knew that the only reason why they had peace and prosperity was because of God. He was pretty ruthless. You know, he went and destroyed all of these altars, all of these high places. And um, chapter 15, verse 16 says, he even fired his own mother. He took away her position as queen. He took away her throne because she had built idols. She had built a horrible image, the Bible says, um, actually in, in honor of a sex goddess named Asherah. He fired his own mother. He took away her, uh, her authority uh, 
because she had idolatry in, in her heart. No compromise, you know. He smashed the very thing that she worshipped. You know, I laughed when I read that because it kind of reminded me of what would happen when I was growing up if I even chipped one of my mum's plates when I was washing the dishes. Yeah, I'd be pretty scared to um, smash something that was precious to her. But, you know, all of us in here know how important family is to us Southsiders, you know. But he was ruthless. He had so much courage and strength. He honored God over everything, including his family. You know, and it takes courage to do things like that. It takes strength to do things like that. You know, when God is calling us to do something, something hard, you know, maybe it's to step out and obey him. Maybe it's to end a relationship he wants us to end. Maybe it's to stop doing something that he want, He is not honoring to him. It takes amazing courage and strength to do things like that. Um, so I looked up that word courage, and the definition of that is the state or quality of mind or spirit that enables one to face danger, fear, or vicissitudes with self-possession, confidence, and resolution, bravery. Ulu laughed when I said vicissitudes, because are we all going to just sit here and pretend like we know what vicissitudes means? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to pretend like I knew it before I looked it up this week. Um, and it actually means uh, unexpected change or unwelcome change. Well, I'm reading what that said on the dictionary. <clears throat> and actually, when I Googled the word vicissitudes, that, that, um, trans that definition came up, you know, unwelcome change or unpleasant change. Um, and for some reason, the Samoan word came up for it, and apparently the Samoan word for vicissitudes, maybe there's another Samoan out there who already knew what vicissitudes meant, it, it, it is sui fa'ali'i. <laughs> and people laugh because, you know, it means change and you're cranky about it. You know, um, but courage gives us the spirit and the ability to face those things, danger, fear. Now we all know a new word, and we, we, we face it with self-possession, confidence, godly confidence, and resolution and bravery. And you know what? God is always ready and willing to give us this courage and strength when, whenever we need it, when we face situations like this. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 actually says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So in other words, God is searching the earth back and forth, looking for hearts that he can strengthen. But those hearts need to be completely his. No compromise. He never, he never misses an opportunity to strengthen us when our hearts are committed to him. And we'll come back to that later, but for now, let's keep reading the story. So verse seven says, therefore he, King Asa, said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows 
All those were mighty men of valor. Verse 9, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marisha. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephatha at Marisha. Okay, so for those of you who kind of missed that, King Asa had put together an army of about 580,000 men, which is pretty impressive, you know. Um, I actually looked up how many people are in the New Zealand army, and it's only 4,500. So that puts it into perspective um, that King Asa had an army of 580,000 men. But now Ethiopia had 1 million warriors and 300 chariots. Now, battle chariots are, in those days were like armored vehicles. I've read some scholars compare battle chariots to the equivalent today of how hard it is to defeat a tank. If you're an expert in watching movies like me, you will have, you will have seen lots of movies where there's battles and how hard it is to shoot through or to defeat a tank. And this guy from Ethiopia had 300 of them on top of his million warriors. And so, you know, speaking on a military side, they are hugely outnumbered. The enemy was too big. There was no way to win. And so usually, you know, if you're, again, a movie-watching expert like me, usually a ruler would step out and try and negotiate, um, try and make a deal rather than lose all of his army and lose a war and bloodshed and that. You'd usually go and try to negotiate. And because you, you have the underhand, you'd usually offer to give pretty much everything you have. Because battle was a ridiculous option. But what did Asa do? Well, he cried out to God. Sounds familiar, eh? He cried out to God in his time of need. Verse 11, his prayer, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. He had no other plan. He had no, you know, flash maps with the little toy things on it to make his strategy. That was his only strategy, was to cry out to his God. And it was actually the smartest and most wise thing he could ever do. And so let's see what happens. Verse 12. The Lord struck down the Ethiopians in front of Asa and Judah. The Ethiopians fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Ethiopians fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. So that was their plan, to seek God's face. He cried out, Lord, we rely on you. He had so much peace. You know, the Bible says that he had peace on every side. And where did that peace come from? He didn't seem to be stressed or panicky. 
you know that joke where the guy says, go get my brown pants? He didn't panic or stress out. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who sought God's face. But the thing is, he didn't just seek God's face at this time when there was a million men standing in front of him. He was seeking God's face during the time of peace, when everything was going well, when there was no emergency, when there was no crisis. He was seeking God's face then. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about what it means to seek God's face. That's kind of a weird phrase. But, you know, a common translation for the word face uh, in the Bible is actually presence or glory. And so the phrase to seek God's face could be interpreted as seeking God's glorious presence in your life. Now, you know, the Bible says God says he will always be with us. He is always with us. So technically his presence is always with us. And so it's kind of like, why would you seek something that you already have already? But the thing is, you know, even though his presence is always with us, we are not always aware of his presence. We are not always experiencing his presence. You know, the other day um, I was sitting with one of the sisters a few weeks ago in um, Urban Soul. You know, Urban Soul is kind of like another branch of Every Nation Southside because every time you go in there, you'll always see someone from church there. They got really nice date scones, but back to the word anyway. I was sitting in there and um, I was chatting with one of the sisters and I was facing this way. And um, as we were eating, I saw at a table kind of just behind her, there was this lady and she had her, I think it was her son. And he was like maybe four or five, you know, he's really little, and she, there must have been something going on, because she had her phone, and she was like furiously typing and stuff like that on her phone, and her son, you know, um, he wanted her attention, but he was, you know, he wasn't one of those annoying kids, mom, you know, he was just sitting there, and he was just like looking at her face, and like he kept on shifting his position, trying to get, catch her eye, And then I saw him start to pull out the flowers from the little flower thing that was on the table. And then he was like rubbing her leg with it, you know. And I thought, oh, what a cute little boy. But, you know, she was in his presence, but she wasn't experiencing his presence. He was there with her, but she wasn't aware of it because she was so engrossed with whatever she was doing. Now, you know, this kind of went on for a few minutes, but then... You know, whatever she she must have been doing, she probably finished and she put her phone down and then she looked at her son and then I just, you know, saw them for the rest of the next maybe half hour talking, laughing, eating together and, you know, just having the coolest time. And it really blessed me because it kind of showed me um, what it's like sometimes, you know, when God is always with us. He promises that he will never leave us. He promises that he will never forsake us. But sometimes we can get so caught up with what we're doing, we're kind of missing out of everything that he wants to show us while we're in his presence. And, you know, I believe that that is the state of us as relationship with God at that time. You know, he was constantly on the lookout for God's glorious presence in his life. 
And, you know, because he always had his eyes open, God blessed him with peace. You know, it reminded me of Exodus when God said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You know, when God's presence is with us, no matter what's happening, we can find rest in him. We can find peace in him. You know, so many Christians run to God when they're in the midst of a crisis, you know. And to be honest, that's the way it should be. You know, when we're in a crisis, that should be the first place that we run. Um, Because, you know, the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they're safe, you know. So that's the way it should be. We should run to God in a crisis. But you know the one who really wins the battle the one who's ready to face anything that the enemy can throw his way. You know, it's the man or the woman who seeks God during the time where there's no crisis. You know, when there's peace. Sometimes when there's peace, you know, you can just relax and um, kind of kick back, start watching movies that maybe we shouldn't be watching or hanging out with people that maybe aren't the best influence with, you know, on us, you know, when, when, we're, when we're experiencing peace, sometimes we just let our guard down, and that's when compromise can kind of slip in. But we need to be, during those times of peace, we need to be taking those precious moments, you know, the, that loving time alone with God, praying for our families, you know, building up our faith for those hard times, constantly being on the lookout for God's presence in our lives, because it's there, it's always there. We should be looking for opportunities to partner with God, to step out in faith and do things during those times of peace. You know, when you think of people like that, people like Asa, who are constantly on the lookout for what God is doing, you know, you, you tend to see a peace on those kinds of people. Not saying that things go perfect for them, because, hello, he got attacked by the enemy, a million-man army, but he still had peace. You know, people like that, they tend to have order in their households or blessed relationships, you know, not saying that they're perfect because, hello, we're people, we always stuff things up, but there's always peace there and blessings. You know, I was thinking about... um, why God would allow Asa, even though he was, you know, a man who just would see God's face and see God's presence, why would he allow him to be attacked by a million-man army? You know, that's kind of sad. Uh, God, didn't you um, have my back? But imagine the faith that was stirred up in Asa after that victory, you know, when he saw God's glorious presence at work, defeating the, the army, the enemy. You know, it reminded me of... Um, a time ages ago, um, maybe 12 years ago or something, I was going with some of the sisters to a Bible study. Actually, it was me and you, Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen might have forgotten this um, story, but we were driving to go to um, meet some other sisters for a Bible study. And, um, you know, when you drive with mums, we drove past the sign, and there was a sign that said, uh, apples on special for like 29 cents a kilo. And um, if you ever go grocery shopping, you know that that's like 
a big massive deal <laughs> and so you know of course I'm driving and there's like three mums in the car and they're hold up stop the car and so oh of course you know we we drive in but see these sisters didn't know that I was broke as I did not even have 29 cents for a few apples I had no money but I really wanted these apples because they looked really good you know those sweet ones those bright red red ones those sweet, you know, sweet tooth like me, I was like, man, I really wish I could get, and they were all hopping out of the car, and I was just sitting there, and I said, oh, no, 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 you guys go, I'm all good, um, and so they went, and they bought apples, and then Mary Ellen came, and she had bought two huge bags, and she goes, oh, here, this one's for you, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much, and, you know, I'm sure she was like, uh, it's just apples, I'm sure it just cost me like 50 cents, but I was like so grateful because God knew my heart, right? God knew that I wanted, <laughs> I want some apples too. Um, and as I was praying, I was thinking, man, thank you, Lord, for these apples. And as I was thanking him in my kind of hypo kind of way, I, I really heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you know, if you were all good, if you had heaps of money and Mary Ellen went and bought those apples for you, you probably wouldn't have known that it was me if you had thousands of dollars in the bank and then a sister just came and brought you apples. You would have missed it. And I was just thinking, man, thank you, Lord, for these opportunities to see you at work in my life and those opportunities where you remind me that you've got my back. And so without opportunities like this, being attacked by a million-man army with 300 chariots, Asa would have missed out on that opportunity to know that his God had him and his God was able to move in such powerful ways in his life and on his behalf. And so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians, all million plus of them, until none of them remained alive. What an amazing victory, you know. And the Bible says they brought so much loot back home. You know, they had plundered all of those um, riches and they were bringing them back home. Uh, to God's people. But then something very interesting happened, reading on in the story, chapter 15, verse 2. Uh, Azariah, the prophet, came to him and he said, listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. You know, imagine getting such a serious warning like that after such a huge victory. Why would God send such a, you know, like a, well, a buzzkill? You know, we're so happy. We've got all of this, you know, imagine all the sounds of all of the animals being brought in. And then the prophet of God comes in and says, you know, if you forsake the Lord, he will forsake you. He is with you when you are with him. You know, one thing that we always say at Victory Weekend, whenever we have Women's Victory Weekend, is, you know, we always see amazing victory. You know, we always see miracles happen. Um, people forgiving people who have done such horrible things to them. And, you know, to me, that is just amazing. You know, when people can be healed from their past, be delivered from things that had held them captive, but one thing that we always say at the end of Victory Weekend is, now that you're going home, now that you're starting to experience this victory in your life, don't relax. 
you know. Don't relax just because you're starting to see victory in your life. Because this is the time, that is the time when the enemy can sneak in when your guard is down. He can sneak in with compromise. And because you're relaxing, like, yeah, all good. Stay on guard, stay close to God. And I believe that's what Azariah was trying to communicate um, to Asa. And the Bible says, there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. What happened on the 36th year? I'm glad you asked. Let's carry on reading. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 1 says, But in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, attacked. He started it by building a fort at Ramah and closing the border between Israel and Judah to keep Asa, king of Judah, from leaving or entering. Imagine that, getting kind of blocked into your own country so that you can't leave. Some blues guy has come and has started to build a fortified wall to kind of block your trade, block your travel. You know, it would have a huge impact on a country. And so what did Asa do? Verse 2, he says, it says, Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the temple of God and the royal palace and he sent it to King Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, who lived in Damascus. And he sent it with this message. Let's make a treaty like the one between your fathers, between our fathers. I'm showing my good faith with this gift of silver and gold. Break your deal with King Baasha of Israel so that he will stop fighting against me. Ben-Hadad went along with King Asa and sent his troops against the towns of Israel. They sacked, they sacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha got the report, he quit fortifying Ramah. Then King Asa issued orders to his people in Judah to haul away the logs and stones that Basha had used in the fortification of Ramah and used them himself to fortify Geba and Mizpah. So now, after 35 years of ruling, another enemy has come to attack Judah. But now, something's changed. Asa didn't cry out to God this time. He actually went about things in a different way. He kind of went around and sorted things out on his own. What had changed though? You know, a couple of years, a couple of decades actually had gone by. Now he wasn't the same young king that he had been before. Now he kind of had a bit of experience, you know, experience. Now he was a bit older, he was a bit wiser. He'd, you know, seen a battle or two. He knew some stuff now. You know, when, when, when I'm thinking about that, you know, I think of all the Samoan mums that all go, oh, you know, when someone thinks that they're all that. I don't even know what that sound means, but there's no words. But we all know what, what it means when someone looks at us when we're trying to do something special and they go, oh. But you know what? That's what he did. He kind of 
didn't run to God anymore. It's as if he kind of didn't need God anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, sweet, I got this. I know a thing or two. You know, he was a king. So he knew, oh, yep, he's got a treaty with him. Yep, but I've got money. I know he's got a thing for gold and silver. I'll just go and, you know, do my little plan, blink my eyes a little bit fast, you know. He took gold and silver from God's temple. So not only did he not run to God, but he stole from God to buy this guy off, to kind of manipulate him to do what he wanted. And you know what? Stink thing is, it actually worked. But, you know, that's kind of a dangerous place to be, you know. Us as Christians, you know, some of us who have been doing this for a, for a little while now, you know, we've kind of had some prayers answered, you know, we've prayed some things and seen people healed, you know, we've preached messages and seen people get saved and, you know, um, something hard might come. And, you know, a while ago, maybe we would have run straight to God because we knew we, we're nothing without him. But guess what, you know, 20 years later, still nothing without him, you know. We've, we've been part of this church for about 20 years now, you know, and I've seen God do some amazing things in my short young life. But I need to fight for that same attitude of remembering that I am nothing without God. I can't do anything without him. Sure, I've, he's used me before and other things and, you know, um, but I can't ever think that I know better than God. I need to keep that same attitude of running to him at all times. You know, I pray that all of us in here, we never get familiar with doing life without God. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's just the temptation. Oh, what you do is you do this and you do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's just a trial. You know, what we call a tribulation. You know, when you've been around like me, you know, you know, oh, you just sprinkle it a little bit of proverbs on that, you know. Just, you know, fast for approximately 36.5 hours and that'll do the trick, you know. Let's not get familiar. Um, so... Chapter 16, verse 7. So at that time, after Asa had kind of botched it, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have put your trust in the king of Syria instead of in the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from you. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and their vast army? with all of their chariots and their cavalrymen. But you relied then on the Lord, and he delivered them all into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord search back and forth across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are loyal towards him, so that he can show his great power in helping him. Another version says, so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. What a fool you have been. From now on, you shall have wars. End of the peace. No more peace. What was Asa's response? He got angry with the seer because of this, and he was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. 
changed. Imagine being a prophet back then. You have to go and bring a correction to the king, but not just to any king, to an old king, you know. In our house, you know, my kids know Ulu's the head of the family, but, you know, when he's not around, I kind of like to throw my power around. You know, sometimes I say to the boys, hey, boys, yeah, do this, do that, do this, do that. And, you know, sometimes it kind of goes to my head when I say, hey, boys, go and clean this, go and clean that. And, you know, yes, mom, go and do it. But then sometimes Ulu will catch me going a little bit overboard and he'll go, Shh, hey, you know those ones. Uh, can you just let my sons be kids? Oh, <laughs> sorry. You know, and when I think about that, imagine being the king. You know, there is nobody who's going to come and veto what you have just said in your botsness, you know, because you have ultimate authority in the land. And that's kind of where us's attitude was. He wasn't used to being corrected. He wasn't used to having someone come in and say, shh, hey, going a bit overboard there. And now he's had that power for, say, 35 years. He wasn't teachable anymore. He stopped learning. And that's something that we all need to be careful of. You know, we can't stop being teachable. We can't stop learning. It doesn't matter how old you are or what you've done or where you've been. It's pride and it stinks to our God. His heart had changed. Asa's heart had changed. Compromise had snuck in. And now no longer did he go running to God, but he actually went running to the enemy kings in the surrounding lands. And, you know, an idol is anything that we go to God for, uh, that we go to, sorry, an idol is anything that we go to for things that we should only go to God for. Does that make sense? And so instead of running to God, he ran, he had made an idol of the people around him. He had made an idol of his own experience and knowledge, and he placed it above God. And the same thing can easily happen to us. You know, we might start to think that we can handle things on our own. You know, maybe our walk with God during the peacetime has begun to slip a little bit. You know, maybe we've started to put our confidence in other things. You know, putting a, our confidence in our own abilities or in um, our possessions or the things around us. You know, we start to rationalize the decisions that we make that we know aren't pleasing to God. Sometimes we start to, you know, make excuses for the things that we're doing, the relationships that we're having that we know aren't pleasing to God. You know, people don't just run off and suddenly overnight become addicted to alcohol or drugs. You know, you don't just suddenly doing well one day and then tomorrow you're having an affair with someone or having sex with someone that's not married to you. Those stuff doesn't happen suddenly, you know. Compromise, it's a slow, gradual thing. You know, things are good, 
you kind of relax, you don't pray as much, you don't stay in your word as much, you don't come and gather with um, brothers and sisters who can encourage you as much. Next thing, you're neck deep in sin and you're wondering how you got there. That's what happened to King Asa. And so how did his story end? Chapter 16, verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Ew. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians or doctors. So the sad thing is, at the end of his days, he still refused to humble himself and go to God. Even in his severe sickness, he refused to go to God, the God that he used to run to on a daily basis. Not saying that there's anything wrong with doctors, because doctors today are, are a gift from God. But in those days, the only kind of physicians that were around were more like um, magicians and spell spell people who cast spells and, you know, um, practice the dark mystic arts. So he was literally putting his trust in the enemy for healing. And then verse 13, the saddest part of it all. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and he rested with his ancestors. Church family, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. You know, so many people start out strong, but then they don't last. You know, in, in my years of coming to this church, I've seen people come and go. I've seen people on fire for God wholeheartedly. And then as time goes by, they choose to turn away from him. And so here's two lessons that I think we can take away from the life of King Asa. The first one is no compromise. And the second one is seek God's face daily. You know, it's never too late to turn back to God. You know, even in his last days, Asa could have turned back to God and repented of his sin, of his pride, but he didn't. Let us pray.